The following content is sponsored in partnership with Haymarket Media U.S. I think what we really took away from that panel was how we were all focused on really driving health equity kind of through our roles and through our jobs. And we call it like operationalizing health equity. The MMM podcast with Ernst & Young presents how data analytics and digital strategies accelerate health equity. Hello and welcome to the MMM podcast. I am Jack O'Brien, the digital editor of MMM. I'm pleased to be joined today by two special guests, Joanne and Oz. Hey, Jack. This is Joanne Saida. I'm with EY. I'm a managing director in our life science practice. All things focused on digital enablement and omnichannel customer engagement. Nice to be here. Hello, Jack. This is Oz. Thank you for inviting us. I'm really excited for this conversation. I am head of digital marketing at Genentech. I've been there for about a year. Before that, I was was in other pharmaceutical companies, so I've been in the industry for quite a while. It's awesome to have both of you in the conversation. For those that may not know, you both participated in the Head First into Health Equity panel that we hosted at the Health Conference back in October in Las Vegas. It was a wonderful success, and this is an outgrowth of that panel, focusing really on the factors that go into health equity, what leaders need to know in terms of best practices. But I want to kind of center the conversation back around what we talked about in health, and maybe, Joanne, you can kick us off there in terms of maybe some of the highlights for those that weren't in attendance in terms of how that conversation went and that we can get into some more specific aspects of health equity. Sure. Yeah, it was a really great installment, if you will, of Head First into Health Equity. And I think what we... Um, really took away from that panel was how we were all focused on really driving health equity kind of through our roles and through our jobs. And we call it like operationalizing health equity. And we had a great panel that really had experience in media and patient services and Oz leading marketing, digital marketing, analytics folks. And, and the point is, you know, how can we each play a role in driving health equity kind of through those specialties that we bring to the table, digital, data analytics, and again, focusing on prioritizing underserved populations kind of through the crafts that we bring to the industry. So thanks for asking. It was, it was a great panel and we, we walked away with a lot of ways to uh, kind of take this into our own jobs. One question that came out was about, is this top down or bottoms up? How do, how do we manage this? And it's both, right? You need a strong leadership support that, uh, talks about the importance and maybe even set some goals and metrics so that it's tangible and really solid. And then bottoms up because you need every single person to be thinking about this. You can't just say, oh, leadership has a goal of 10% X, Y, and Z, and I'm just going to get there. You could do much more than that. You don't have to be tied down to just those numbers. And there are some things that are going to be small incremental uh, tactics, initiatives that you can take on your own that don't really have to be in, even in the uh, leadership agenda. So it's it's both top down and bottoms up. And then we talked about, I want to mention this, to be able to enable diverse ideas and mitigate blind spots, you need a diverse workforce. So it all starts from there. It's such a key point you bring up there in terms of being able to have diverse voices that are informing the strategy that your uh, company is going forward with. I do want to go back to something that Joanne brought up first, though, to kind of kick off the conversation in terms of the digital health aspect um, that's driving a lot of the change that we're seeing in health equity. Can you kind of underscore that, Joanne? Because I know a lot of organizations are saying, like, we have to be digital forward. We have to be focused on that front. And they think about it in terms of care delivery or different aspects of the organization. But health equity has to be part of that as well. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Doug. It it has to be part of like your your health equity strategy has to be built into your data strategy and your digital strategy. And we have more sophisticated tools. We have more data. We have the ability to really use data analytics and insights really to our advantage and to really better understand the underserved or prioritized populations, better target them, engage them. And really, um, at a community level, keep them and develop the trust that they need in order to enter into the healthcare system. And so just to kind of repeat or recap it a little bit, we've got the tools, we've got the data, and we've got more sophisticated analytics that really give us insight into those targeted underserved populations. And so it's our job to use those tools to engage in them on a day-to-day basis and really develop relevant content and trust so that they can be brought into the system, um, be treated and have positive outcomes. Oz, I want to bring you into the conversation because we were talking offline before we started this about the value of customization too and being able to pinpoint various patient populations uh, when it comes to your health equity strategy. Can you talk about that? Because I know that a lot of organizations, especially when they think about point of care marketing or something like that, they think, oh yeah, I have to be able to get in front of the right targeted audiences. And that applies just as well to health equity too, whether or not real leaders may recognize it. Absolutely. That's a great point. So I think there are two pillars in this whole process, right? One is, we talked about this a little bit, data. We do have access to much more data. You know, like 10 years ago, we used to say, oh, great, we have a focus group of 20 people. Let's do some market research, identify three key pain points for all of the population, and then target them with those three different messages. That doesn't work like that, though, right? There is so much distinction. There are so many different problems that different populations have. So if you want to uh, go out there and inform people about a, a test that you know can actually help them get on therapy faster, different populations have different problems. For example, with certain populations, it could be that they don't have trust in the healthcare system. That's a different message from uh, somebody that actually doesn't know that there are different therapies available. So their problem is awareness. But the other um, problem with the underserved population could be they don't actually trust the healthcare system. And the message needs to be different, which takes me to the second pillar of this. First one was data. The second one is content. Every time we hear, sure, your content looks great. It, it is creative, um, you know, mountains and these people that are active all the time. The message doesn't resonate with me. This is not my pain point. This is not my problem. Or um, I heard many, many times, hey, I see your banner ads. I see your social media campaigns. There are not people that look like me and I can't relate, right? And I think there are a lot of ways for us to create content in a faster way and in a more impactful way where you can really make sure that those needs are being met with different types of content, with different people in different contexts so that people relate to that message. You know, the actual copy is relevant and the people that are in those communications are relevant too. It's so interesting to hear you bring up that point where it's people saying like, yeah, you may get everything that I'm worried about in terms or I may have anxieties about when it is related to my disease state or my condition. But if I'm not being represented, if I don't see myself in that, that adds to that mistrust factor that you talk about. In addition to the fact that there are a lot of people that just see the ads, you talk about the you know people dancing in a field or going hiking in something and they say, that's not my 
condition. That's not what I feel like or what my outcome is supposed to be. I wonder what responsibility a leader has to be able to overcome that. It's not only recognizing the problem, but then having to actually take the action. I think it's a lot of the conversations we've had around health equity is not only recognizing, oh, this is something we have to fix, but actually doing something about it. And Jack, if I could add on, because I think it's also about bringing the patient and the healthcare professional together and, and really educating the healthcare professional on the different types of patients that he or she may see in that audience. Again, kind of building trust from an underserved population. There's a, there's a lot of studies, and one in particular that I'm, I want to talk about quickly is some studies that were done on chronic disease, um, chronic kidney disease. And we looked at about 7,000 data from about 700,000 patients. And what was evident was that Black Americans were diagnosed at later stages in the chronic disease in the chronic disease state, which meant there were more hospital visits and unfortunately, um, you know, worse results, worse, out, worse outcomes. What it does for us is it allows us to understand kind of that patient journey, but also to elevate that type of a story to healthcare providers so that they can be alert, so that they can be aware and be able to identify patients sooner than, than later. And so that's, that's just one example where really data is really um, powerful and it allows us to take that data and be responsible about how we communicate to patients as well as to the healthcare providers that are in their specific uh, geographies or in their serving their populations. I will um, answer your question with four areas of focus. And it's a great question, right? What kind of responsibilities does a leader have? I think a few. One is you need to understand the different levels of things to be really aware about. We talked about content, right? Content is not just oh, let me put in a few people to represent you. That's not it. You cannot keep everything else the same and expect you know, that message to resonate. There's the setting, right? I mean, the activities that some people do, not everybody does them. So does that really um, resonate with you? The cultural aspect is important too. So for example, when we do translations, right? We say, oh, we have to put this in Spanish because it's really important, which is a noble initiative. But we translate everything verbatim we don't look at the culture context. We don't look at how things are really communicated in that community. We have to really be careful about that. Also, different channels resonate uh, differently and more impactfully within certain populations. I remember one of my previous companies, uh, they were targeting a condition that impacted the black population predominantly, and they actually were involved with some churches and pastors so that, you know, in those places where they gathered and they were important, they were able to really influence all those people. So I think there's a lot of the right content, right context, right channel, uh, right influencers approach. The second one is metrics. We need to be really careful and aware about who's engaging with the content, who's engaging with the communication. Are there certain segments of populations that are actually not interested in what we have to say. We have to diagnose that really clearly. And then we, we need to get feedback, right, from a really diverse population. Does this resonate with you? The fourth one, we, we talked about this in the conference as well. As a leader, we have a responsibility to create the diverse workforce. And if we don't have as diverse of a workforce as we want in the uh, like immediate vicinity, we have to go out of our boundaries to get that feedback. So for example, for myself at Genentech, we do care deeply about health equity and we're trying to really, really go out of our way to 
to find these people that may have additional perspective that we don't have. A lot of people have blind spots when they're on their own or in their immediate three, four people team. So how can you incorporate those uh, pieces of alternative perspectives is, is a huge responsibility. It's so interesting, Oz, to hear you talk about the content delivery aspect of it, because I've talked to a number of executives and it may seem like common sense to some in our audience, but they've said like, yeah, if I'm trying to reach a certain Spanish speaking population, I found that the message is most effective if you're putting it on Spanish speaking television. It's kind of like a, you know, duh, eureka moment. But for a lot of people, it's like, Mm -hmm. well, no, if we just put our ad into Spanish and we put on mass media or on social media, it'll take off from there. It's like, no, you have to actually go. You talk about, you know, targeting the black community and using church leaders or leveraging different uh, voices that are trusted in these communities. That's a key thing that can't be underestimated, especially when you're trying to build back some of that lost trust that goes back at some points, decades or even centuries. If I can quickly add one thing, we cannot do this partially. We have to go the whole way. I'll tell you what I mean. So, you know, I see sometimes uh, these banner ads that are in Spanish, which is great. You know, hopefully they target the right populations. You click on the Spanish banner ad, it takes you to a website that's in English. That is not acceptable. You have to do it holistically. You have to think about that experience, right? If you're trying to give that message in Spanish to somebody, so you think they understand this better in Spanish, but they go to your website, it's in English. It doesn't make sense. So I think we have to think about the whole journey. And if I could add on to that, I mean, Oz like hits it spot on. And it's really about understanding, you know, it's some of it's, I would say, basic marketing, understanding your consumer needs. And so understanding that there's not a one size fits all, that if we don't have a one size fits all, we'll recognize that we have to have much more precise persona-based communications that'll drive exactly what Oz talked about, the right content in the right consumption and the right channels that our populations kind of need to consume. I think there's one other point, Jack, and we haven't talked about it yet. And there's a lot of discussion in the industry around right artificial intelligence and Gen AI. And I think we all need to recognize, we've, we've heard this, we need to use those sophisticated tools but understand they come with biases. And so we want to use them in the right way. But I think we'd be remiss not to talk about the opportunities that these sophisticated tools can offer us, right, with all the data that is now accessible to us. But if we marry together kind of the right teams to train, right, algorithms in the right way that are more diverse, then what I hope is that we take responsibility of removing those biases in these AI tools and that we can start to really leverage them at scale to really make a difference in underserved populations. Joanne, you hit on a really good point. I actually wanted to talk about AI a little bit. And I think you have to realize, right? We cannot say you're not going to use AI. We are going to use AI. We are using AI for a lot of things, but it's going to be more prominent. We have to realize human beings have a huge advantage in putting putting the context around everything for now. And AI has a lot of capabilities that we don't have as human beings. You know, the ability to analyze, predict some patterns that we are not able to see. The strongest pair is when you have AI maybe draft something or build something or model something, and then a human being really put it in context or look at the blind spots that it may have. And imagine an AI system trying to define or, or maybe identify an unmet need. And you know that's maybe something you weren't able to see before. 
and you validating that. Maybe there are seven recommendations and you take two of them and now you create a totally different campaign or new messaging, or maybe you change a few words and you know that's also more relevant to you. So I think AI is gonna play a huge role, but I agree with Joanne. There are a lot of biases and lack of context that we have to provide. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I was gonna ask you, Joanne, if there were any sort of room for improvement as it relates to the digital health front. And you talk about that, you know, having a, I don't wanna say like a human spotter, if you will, but somebody that's able to leverage this technology and still have the manual inputs or corrections if something goes wrong. I know I've talked to a number of leaders who have said like, yeah, this is going to supercharge what we do, but you can't just plug your entire strategy into ChatGPT and let it go. You have to have somebody that, there that's actually going to you know, keep it in line, be able to point out those biases that, again, do affect these patient populations that come from different backgrounds that you're trying to make inroads with. And if you go in there with a flawed strategy based off of flawed data going into a supercharged tech device, you're not going to get any sort of ground of where you want to go. No, agree. Yeah, I think if we need to think about um, artificial intelligence more like augmented intelligence. So you're you're spot on. We need to find we need to find and develop you know more marketers, more data scientists that can incorporate the AI into how they do their job right? With an understanding of some of the risks and the flaws and the biases that come with it. And I know that when we ended the panel last time, I had asked everybody up there whether they were optimistic for the future of health equity in terms of the recognition that it's gotten from the industry, but also the leaders taking action uh, to make changes that are meaningful for patients down the line. Everybody answered that they were optimistic. So I'm not going to repeat that question, but I do want to ask what in terms of your own expectations for where we get there in the short and long term are you expecting to see? What sort of changes are you thinking are, are, are on the horizon or maybe ones that may be a little more work needs to be done? And maybe that's even the next generation of leaders needs to take up the mantle. And Joanne, I'll let you start off. I, I am definitely still optimistic. And um, I think what I'm optimistic about is that we'll make progress and recognize the progress versus perfection. It is going to take time. I do feel like data analytics is the, is kind of, you know, in our in our grasp as far as leveraging more data to understand the nuances with underserved populations. And with that data, then we can leverage it. And some of the basic, I'll call them basic technologies that exist today and, you know, automated marketing and more uh, refined development of content. Um, and that'll set the foundation for leveraging more sophisticated technologies in the long run. Um, so I feel like it's, it's, yeah, there's some technologies and data that's kind of ready and more near um, to us to access and, and to take advantage of. But I also think maybe a more non-technical message kind of for the audience is make progress, don't be discouraged if there's fits and starts. That progress will ult will ultimately continue to catapult us to where we need to be. Yeah, so I'm not going to repeat that, but I completely agree. I am not particularly worried about technology or processes as long as we get there with the diverse workforce and a workforce that represents the patients and HCPs and payers that we're trying to reach. I think the technologies and processes are going to be enabled much faster. I am very optimistic because of this. We are not there yet. We have a lot of uh, you know, way uh, to go. However, when I look at the past 5, 10, 15, 20 years, slowly, maybe not the pace that I would like, we're getting there, right? I do see more people that don't think like me, which I'd love. I do see more people that are saying, you haven't thought about this. 
And I'm like, oh yeah, I did not. And I probably could never have because I've never been in your situation before. And that keeps me really optimistic. So if we could keep doing that, one worry that I have is that we'll, we'll say, oh, okay, we're at this um, blah, blah percentage threshold. So we're good, right? No, we're never good. We have to constantly keep improving. Awesome. Well, again, Joanne and Oz, I really appreciate you. One, for the contributions you made to the panel back in October, but certainly for this follow-up conversation, being able to talk so in-depth about your thoughts on health equity, where it stands right now, and where the industry is going, how they need to make changes that are meaningful for patients down the line. So really appreciate you making the time to speak with us and wish you the best of luck in your respective organizations with making that change happen. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for hosting us. 